1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John.
2: This has to be something that you believe and confess as a testimony of a relationship that you have with Jesus. There are a lot of people who, you know, are walking around in this world, I think, who think that they are saved just because they have, the head knowledge, but they have no heart relationship. Now, I don't say that disparagingly. I just say, I was in the same boat. In ignorance, I didn't understand that just because you believe something is not enough.
1: A lot of people will often make the mistake of thinking that Christianity is just believing that God exists. But if that's all you do as a so-called Christian, you're no more Christian than the enemy. Satan believes God exists. That doesn't redeem him, does it? In today's message, Pastor Gary explains that Christianity is a relationship with Jesus and a trust in Him, not just an acknowledgment that, well, He existed. And it's a relationship that needs to be confessed to the people around us. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 John chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: You can begin to think that because you've grown up in the church, you're automatically saved. And you can begin to think, well, I've been going to church all my life, so, you know, that makes me a Christian. And you never have come to a place of personal confession of your faith and trust in Christ. And so that was my story. So I'm 15 years old, and I'm at a retreat with my uh, uncle's church who was a pastor in Thurmont, Maryland. So in the Catoctin Mountains, uh, they had this church retreat, and I went on this church retreat. And this guy who was a speaker to the youth group, so they had separate—it was like a family camp. So they had a speaker for the adults, and they had a speaker for the teens— and another speaker for, like, the kids. And so, you know, we were, as teenagers, you know, listening to this guy that had been brought in for the weekend. And privately, off to the side, he, he just asked me, he said, are, are you a Christian? I said, oh, yeah. And he said, how is that? You know, when did you make a decision for Christ? I said, I, I never made a decision for Christ. I just grew up in the church. That was my answer. I mean, I honestly, sincerely thought I was good to go because I grew up in the church. And he looked at me and he said, you're not saved. I said, so how dare you, you... you hypercritical judge, you know, don't judge me, you know, that kind of an attitude. And he said, you have the belief down. You believe that Jesus is Christ, right? And I said, yeah, I believe that he's Christ. And he said, you know, in James chapter 2, verse 19, it says the demons believe and they tremble. What are you comparing me to? And he just said, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The demons believe and they tremble. He says, you know, the difference between demons who believe and people who believe. And I said, what? And he says, the only difference between Human beings who believe and demons who believe is whether or not the human beings are also going to confess Jesus as Lord, because the demons don't. So if you want to really be different from the demons, how about you decide to confess Jesus as Lord? And he took me to Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the first part. I had that part down. If you believe in your heart, this is Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And he read those verses to me, and it just hit me. And I realized I had the head knowledge down, at least in part. I had an an understanding, I had a belief, but I had never really confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And so I prayed... Right there to receive Christ by confessing him as Lord. So this is an important word. You know, when you read your Bibles, don't skip over certain words that they're in there for a reason. And he emphasizes that there in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God. Now he's going to, he talks about belief in here too. He's going to talk about a little bit further down, but th- there's this important thing where Jesus and the Bible and God and all of this has to be more than just this theoretical belief thing. It, it has to be more than just head knowledge. This has to be something that you believe and confess as a testimony of a relationship that you have with Jesus. There are a lot of people who you know, are walking around in this world, I think, who think that they are saved just because they have the head knowledge, but they have no heart relationship. Now, I don't say that disparagingly. I just say I was in the same boat. In ignorance, I didn't understand that just because you believe something is not enough, that you have to actually confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's Romans 9 and 10. That's what this is saying right here as well. Verse verse 16, and we have known and believed, so he talks about belief also, the love that God has for us. God is love. He says it again, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Verse 17, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness In the day of judgment, notice again, perfected, so that word he's not done with, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but, this is another great verse, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So there's this passage here that that speaks about, you know, fear versus love. They are an antithesis. They, They are opposites of one another. So he says, if you operate in fear, you're not really operating in the love of the Lord. And it isn't that you aren't saved. There's plenty of things in life that can grip our hearts with fear. We know this. The challenge as believers is to not allow fear, which is a part of our flesh, To get the better of us Instead we need to rely on The love of God And be reminded Of his grace and his help And his strength and his spirit And not give way to fear Perfect love drives out fear So you know I find that Whenever fear grips my heart I just really need to turn to the word And start getting more of Jesus More of God, more of truth Because that's what's going to help To just remind me of who he is and die to self, which is where fear is all about. It's it's from the flesh. So, another great verse you might want to write in the margin of your Bible, another very familiar passage to many of you is 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. 2 Timothy 1 7, which says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Perfect love drives out fear and of a sound mind. So, God does not give us a spirit of fear. Fear does not come from the Lord. It comes from the world. It comes from our flesh. It comes from the enemy who tries to instill fear and you know haunt us. But um, and verse nineteen. Let me read it again. We love him because he first loved us. Isn't that a great verse? You understand that God is the initiator. He's the pursuer. We are the responders. God first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We are responding to his love. He's the pursuer he's the initiator. The relationship is God pursuing us. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So, If I could summarize chapter 4, and you'll see it, you know, throughout chapter 4, what we just read there, it would be that if we really love God, we will love one another. I mean, there's a lot of other good stuff in there, but that's kind of the main takeaway. He's he's simply repeating it several times. If we really love God, we're going to love one another. If we really understand God's love toward us, then we will demonstrate that love toward others. Chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who was begotten of him. So talking about God the Father and God the Son. But by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. Notice this, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The other thing that he's saying here is, if we really love God, we will obey his commandments. And I love that he adds his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because there's a love relationship. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I'm sure you can all relate to this. Either for yourself, or I'm going to put it in the scenario of you as a parent with your kids. You remember when your kids are like, I don't know, 8, 9, 10? You always had to tell them, like, did you take a shower today? Would you please shower? I I don't want to take a shower. You know, you just ran around in the field all day long and you've come in the house. It's a hot summer day. Take a shower. And then they take a shower. Like, did you brush your teeth? Nah, I didn't. Brush your teeth. Don't you know? Cavities, the dentist, the drill, the whole bit. Brush your teeth. Okay, I'll brush my teeth. All right. Then they become like, I don't know, 15, 16. And they meet that special someone. You know what I'm talking about? Do you have to tell them to shower? Do you have to tell them to brush their hair? Do you have to tell them to, to do anything? Like, no, because they're primping in front of the mirror. They're getting themselves ready. You don't have to tell them. Why? Because there's a love thing going on now. The love boat. You know, that whole kind. Of, so that's the deal. When it's based on love, the commandments of God are not burdensome. For people who go around going, oh, the commandments of God. You know, man, God says don't do this and don't do that. then you don't understand the love of God for you. Because the love of God and a love relationship and your love for him means that you want to obey him and you want to do what is right. Nobody has to tell you. Because there's a love relationship here. So you obey his commandments. They're not burdensome. Because this is about love. Verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. That has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, this is just straight gospel all through this book here. It's Jesus, 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 believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the, the manifestation of the love of God, died on a cross, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I mean, it's, this, this whole thing He's just writing about Jesus constantly here. And then he says here in verse 6, and this is a... The rest of chapter 5, I just have to tell you, is one of the most difficult chapters in the entire Bible. And you can get out different Bible commentaries and see what scholars think. And there are some sections here where John writes in the closing part of chapter 5 where there, there's just a lot of debate and confusion as to exactly what he means. I'm going to do my best to explain it, but I, I, won't, I won't help much because the debate's been going on for centuries ever since he wrote it. And this is one of them that in terms of how difficult, like what, is, what does he really mean here? So verse 6, this is he, meaning Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. You got it? That's clear, isn't it? And so, yeah, crystal. All right, so this is he who came. Let's back up there. This is he who came by water and blood. So, There's basically a few ways that people look at this, and and different Bible scholars, you can read different commentaries. Some say that the water refers to Jesus' baptism, and that the blood refers to the cross, when when he died on on the cross and, and shed his blood. Others, when you read other commentaries, they say water and blood should be read together, because the Bible says that when Jesus was being crucified, and they pierced his side, the Roman soldier came up underneath his rib cage, pierced the uh, pericardial sac, and and where Jesus, you know, his heart was under excruciating stress because because of crucifixion, the whole act of crucifixion. And the Bible says when when his side was pierced, water and blood gushed out. And then there is this other thought that the water could be referring to his physical birth, that when a woman's water breaks, a baby is born, and that blood refers to his crucifixion. So there's there's all these different kind of, what does this exactly mean? I, I personally think that probably the most logical of the different possibilities is that John is talking about the bookends of Jesus' ministry, and the bookends are that it began at his baptism, it culminated in his crucifixion. It didn't end with his crucifixion, it just culminated. So that it probably refers to he was born of water, he came, rather that's the word, doesn't say born, he came by water. So baptism is kind of like the, the annunciation of his ministry as it began, his water baptism by John the Baptist, and his crucifixion was the culmination of his ministry. So You can do with it what you wish, but that's probably the best that I think in terms of what scholars have have come to believe it might mean. And he says there in verse 7, you know, it's a statement about the Trinity. Uh, There is this witness in heaven, the Father, God the Father, the Word, who is Jesus. Uh, John writes in his Gospel, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, he's talking about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one. And he talks about bearing witness on earth. We have the Spirit, we have the water, we have the blood, those things that testified to the ministry of Jesus. Remember, at the baptism of Jesus, that's when the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and the voice of God was heard saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you see the work of the Spirit, water, baptism, the blood, the crucifixion. So John is just simply saying these things testify to the validity of Jesus' ministry as Messiah. Verse 9, if we receive the witness of men... The witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself, meaning the spirit of God. And he who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. So basically here, John just exposes the great sin of unbelief. The the, the great sin that will keep us out of heaven is unbelief. If you don't believe the testimony of who Jesus is, there's no remedy. There's no hope for us. He says in verse 11, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I mean, I mean certainly not eternal life. He's talking about life zoe, not, and that's a Greek word for the fullness of life, not life bios. That's just physical life. He's talking about the fullness of life, eternal life. That's all in Jesus. And he adds in verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So part of why John writes this epistle is that we might have the assurance of our faith. And then he adds in verse 14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So those couple of verses there is just putting a strong kind of exclamation point on the whole idea of prayer. That it is important that we are praying people. And uh, he adds there praying, asking things according to his will. God has a will. We all have a will. The free will that God has given us. Sometimes those things line up my will with God's will and sometimes those things do not line up And whenever they do not line up God is certainly not obligated nor does he for my good Give me what i'm asking If it's not in accordance with his will, it's not good for me And so sometimes we just need to rest in that You know, we can get frustrated when we think you know i've been praying and the answer seems to be no And sometimes the answer is not now. It's wonderful when it's yes. And God answers the prayer just as we had hoped. But even if he doesn't. When he says not yet. Or no. It's always for our best. Because God's will is what you want. Not yours. You want his perfect will. So wait upon the Lord. Pray. Seek his face. Now. This is another complicated section here. Verse 16, if anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. Got that? Another crystal clear section here. So, in Hebrew, the Jewish people in ancient times had a saying about sin in general. It was either chata lamita or chata lo lamita. And chata lamita means sin unto death. Chata lo means sin not unto death. And they, they parsed it in two sections like this. This is my attempt to do the best I can with this passage, okay? But it's, it's a bit confusing. You have here John saying that there are certain sins that are not unto death. And he says there are also sins that will lead to death. That, you know, th- there will be punishment for. And so how can some sins be unto death and other sins not unto death? And so the best understanding is that a sin not unto death is something committed, let's say, with woeful ignorance. So there are just some things you don't know better. You, you don't understand. You, you didn't realize it. Uh, you, you didn't know that that was, you know, truth or God's standard. And so it, it, you, you sin, but maybe you come to find out afterwards you didn't know at the time. It's woeful ignorance. So that's hata lo lamita then there is a sin unto death, which we would categorize as willful disobedience. So there are some sins, and you, you know what they are too, in, in your own life, in your own heart. There are some things you do in life, you go, oh, I, I wasn't aware that that was sin. There are other things, you know, on, well, it's a sin and you're going to do it anyway. And that's willful disobedience. That is a sin that's punishable. So What he's saying here is, so he couples the idea of prayer with this complicated section, and he's basically saying for people who are committing sin, not unto death, it's just out of ignorance, pray for them, that they would come to an understanding of what they're doing. But for those who are willfully disobeying, he says here in the section, don't pray for them, don't pray for, they know better, they already know better. And so they just need to make a decision. It's not, it's not going to be because you pray for them more. It's going to be because they just decide they're going to obey. And so he adds, though, that all unrighteousness is sin. But he said there are some things, basically, that people do out of ignorance. There are other things people do out of disobedience. Doing something out of disobedience against God, willful disobedience, has greater consequences, basically is what he's saying, then something that is done out of ignorance, there seems to be an extra measure of God's grace for ignorance than there is certainly for disobedience. So again, you can read for yourself what other scholars say about this, but it's a difficult passage. I offer you the best I can on that. Let's finish out the book. Verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Again, throughout this book, he means continual habitual sin. We, we will still fall from time to time, but, but we, we shouldn't want to continue sin and habitual sin. But he who who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I like the way New King James says that. You know, Satan has limited influence in our world. And so New King James says he has some sway. So we have to be aware of that. The whole world is under the sway, under the influence of Satan. We see this in our culture. We see this every day with the way things are unraveling in our world. I mean, who's behind that? It's the enemy. And he adds in verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And everybody said, Amen.
1: You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John, a deep book with a simple truth front and center. We find this truth in 1 John 3.11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Did you know there's a way you can love your fellow listeners? We hope you learn something new as you listen today, and even more, that you were inspired to continue searching the Bible for God's love, truth, and grace. Would you join us in praying for your fellow listeners? With every message, there's potential for someone who desperately needs hope to hear about Jesus. And prayer is an incredible way to support them, even though you may never meet them. Or maybe today, it's you who needs prayer. We'd love to hear from you. Please send requests to prayer at ccvb.net. That's prayer at ccvb.net. Are you looking to go deeper into this study? Head over to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, where you'll find companion resources that are available to you completely free. Once again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for in today's message. There's more to learn, so we hope you'll join us here next time for more from Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection.